I want to invite you to join me in 1 John. We're going to pick up in 1 John chapter 4, continuing our study, This is How We Know. And as you're moving there, as you're moving on your phone or your iPad or your Bible to 1 John 4, listen to what Charles Spurgeon said in, in the 1800s. Be out and out for him. Unfurl your colors, never hide them. Nail them to the mast and say to all who ridicule the saints, if you have any ill words for the followers of Christ, pour them out upon me, but know this, you shall hear it whether you like it or not, I love Christ. I love Jesus Christ. Paul said this in writing to the Corinthians. He said, be alert, basically wake up, be alert, stand firm in your faith, be courageous, be strong, and do everything in love. Everything in love. He would say to Timothy in his second letter to Timothy, 2 Timothy 1, God has not given us a spirit of fear. Did you hear that? God has not given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us what? Power, love, and sound judgment. Power, love, and sound judgment. Can I, can I pause? Thank you, Matt. I can always count on Matt. The rest of you need to learn from him. <laughs> Let me pause here for a minute. This is not intended where we're going, but I want to pause here because I, I feel I was, it was during Ron's prayer that it, I felt this conviction. We, when the Spirit works in us, and he prayed that the Spirit would work, when the Spirit works in us, he, he typically removes something. He wants to rearrange and take something out. According to Paul, he wants, in this verse, he wants to re remove fear. You with me? That's what he wants to do. But here's what we forget. The Holy Spirit does not move in us, work in us, and remove something, and then just leave that empty space, that empty suitcase. When I, when I travel, one of the first things that I do is I go find my suitcase. Now, just a little glimpse into to my personality, I guess, or my world, is when I find that suitcase and I open it up and I have it on a chair in my room, that's a little victory for me. Okay, I'm getting ready, I'm planning ahead. <laughs> but that doesn't do me any good just to have an empty suitcase. I need to put into the suitcase the things I need for the trip. The Holy Spirit wants to work in you and me this morning. He wants to identify something that's in our thinking, in our practices, maybe um, our attitude, in a relationship, something he wants to remove. Paul said God has not given us a spirit of fear. So if we're living in fear, if we're reacting in fear, we're making decisions based on fear, the Holy, I can guarantee you this, the Holy Spirit this morning wants to speak to you and say, hey, that's not God's best for you. That's not what he intends for you. And he wants to remove fear from our thinking, from our actions. But here's what we forget. He wants to put something else in its place. He wants to put something better in its place. I love this verse in 2 Timothy 1 because I, we understand that it's Paul, this, this grizzled, you know, experienced man of God writing to a young man in ministry who's in a really difficult season of ministry and he says, Timothy, remember God has not given you a spirit of fear. If there's fear in your thinking, your behavior, your reactions, it's not from God. And he wants to remove that from your experience. But he wants to put something better in its place. What? Well, he's given us a spirit of power. So there's nothing we should be afraid of. 
You remember the word of God tells us, don't fear those that can take your life. Fear, those who have, fear the one who has the, the power, the authority to say, this is where you'll spend eternity based on your choice. We have a spirit of power. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to put in, in my empty suitcase. He wants to put power in there. Well, the problem with power alone is I can get a little bit full of myself, right? And so he wants to put love. There's power. There's nothing we fear. There should be nothing we fear fear in this life but remember he already said in the verse in Corinthians do everything in love God's love and then he says I want put sound judgment self-control sound thinking I love this verse because this is what not only the first part we're in a, in a day where we're driven by fear and anger would you agree on every level of decision-making and leadership and, and aspects of life, fear and anger just seems to be driving everything from social media to, to business decisions to relationships to government. Fear and anger is everywhere. This is so relevant to our day to right now. God has not given you and me, if we are followers of Jesus, a spirit of fear. We don't have to be afraid. What should we be known by? We should be known by power, love, and sound judgment. And that's exactly what Kurt Pearson needs to live in 2021. Power against the, the forces and the enemy of God in all of its forms. Love. How would Facebook change if love was the driving force? on Facebook or Instagram or whatever the, the platform. And you know what else I really need? I'll just be honest with you. I need sound judgment. I need to know how to decide in really difficult decisions, relationships, moments, temptations, responses to what's happening around me. See, the Holy Spirit works in us to remove, and so when you prayed that this morning, Ron, you, for on our behalf, we're inviting the Holy Spirit to identify where you sit. I will, I will preach my message, but you know many of you will hear something different from what I preached. Is that because I'm a bad preacher? Maybe. But it's more has to do with the Holy Spirit is speaking to each of us and saying there's something in your life that I want to remove. But don't miss the whole message. The other piece of his message is I want to put something in its place. I want to put something in its place. Do everything in love we don't have a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and, and sound judgment. In fact, the defining characteristic of the Christian is love. The defining characteristic of the one who follows Jesus is, is love. And the reason that's true is because the defining characteristic of God is love. Oh, he's just, he's righteous, he's holy, he's a mystery, is he not? He's judge and merciful. Right, And we could, we could line up his attributes, his nature that never changes. And there's such mystery to all that God is. But the undergirding foundation of, the, of his character, his nature, is that God is love. And so it makes sense that the defining characteristic of this child of God, this son of God, this family of God member, is that I would be primarily characterized, I would be more than anything else, the dominant feature of what you experience when you interact with me, you hear my words, you are the recipient of my actions, those in, my, in relationships with me should be love. God's love. Before I ever took a breath, and I, I say this in this moment because 
we need to understand the, the, not only the context of love, but the definition of love, because we, we've talked about it in, the, in this series even, that we've really butchered the definition of love, and we've made it a lot of different things. I need to understand what the Bible means when it says love, and so I need to understand this. God loved me before I took my first breath. Why is that significant? Because love has nothing to do with the recipient. If you can get that in your thinking and let it shape your life, then, then this morning will be fruitful for you, for us. Love has nothing to do with the recipient. Whether or not I love someone or how I even love them has nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with me and my relationship with God. Because the first thing that comes into our mind when we talk about love and loving other people is, is a picture of a specific person in your life that says that, that you, you conclude, I do too, this, he's not talking about this person. Because you don't know what this person has done. You don't know my history with this person. You don't know how difficult this person is to love. For some in this room, it's gonna be our spouse. It's true. You don't know how hard it is, and you don't know our story, and you don't, it's not that I don't care, but love has nothing to do with the recipient. How do I know that? For God so loved the world that he gave his son. While I was still a sinner, Christ died for me. You get it? Before the foundations of the earth were in place and, and creation even happened, God had already decided I'm going to create people, and they're going to, they're going to do what they're going to do. I'm going to give them the ability to choose, and they're going to reject me. So what are you going to do, God? You're going to wipe them out and start over? No, I'm going to judge, but I love them, and I'm going to love them, and I'm going to keep loving them. And it's going to get so bad, I'm going to send my son, because that's the only option. That's the only way to deal with this mess. Could we wear that? Can you wear that with me? this mess that we have made of this world and of our lives. And we're not the first. I love this mess, and so, Jesus, yes, Father, I will go, because I love them too. And Holy Spirit, will you go and you empower Jesus to live on this earth, and he'll go to the cross, and he'll willingly give his life, and he'll allow creation to, to, to treat him that way, and he will give his life, and they'll bury him, and they'll put him in a grave, and three days later, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we will raise Jesus back to life, and God will come back alive and offer us salvation from our mess. What is that? That's love. That's love. And that decision to love was made before this earth was ever put in place. Love has nothing to do with the recipient. It has to do with the giver. God loved us before we took our first breath. Here's the other thought to help us understand what love is. We only love God, we only love period, because God first loved us. It's where Matt le le left off last week in verse 19. It's our theme verse for the year. We love because he first loved us, 1 John 4, 19. And it's interesting, in the Greek, there's no article there. Some translations will try to, you know, we, we assume that there's an article. We love others. We love God. We love pizza, we, whatever. We love, and we want, it, we want there to be an article of that, that addresses that verb, the direction of that verb. The Holy Spirit led John to put no article there. We love because God first loved us. We understand what love is, John will say, because God loved 
us. I have the capacity to love because God loved me and I've tasted of his love. He has transformed me, a new creation. Pre-new creation, I cannot love the way God loves us. I can't. I can be nice. I can have moments. I can certainly love pizza without Jesus. I can love my F-150. <laughs> Someone mentioned it this morning. But I cannot love the way the Bible speaks of love without first experiencing God's love for me. That's what opens up my, my eyes, my thinking, my heart, my life to go, oh, this is what love is. This is what love is. And we need to understand that. What love is, is found in our experience with God through Jesus Christ. So join me in 1 John 4. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, oh, I love God. I'm here at church. I'm a Christian. I love God. I got my Bible. I wear the Christian image, whatever you want to think that is. I love God, of course. Yet this same person hates his brother or sister. He's a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister, whom he has seen, the one that's right there, cannot, cannot, literally is powerless to love God whom he has not seen. By the way, John says, we have this command we have this command from him, from God. The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. We'll look at that in just a minute. But John reminds the reader, reminds us that we, we've been commanded by God that we should love others. The one who loves God must love his brother and sister. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, remember that, Romans 10? You confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that the Father raised from the dead, you are, you're saved. You've been born again, you're reborn, you're in the family of God. The one, the one who believes, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, they've confessed Jesus as the Messiah, they've been born of God. John chapter three, Jesus told Nicodemus this new birth. And everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of him. Now on the surface you read that, you think, well he's talking about Jesus, no. You know, it's very clear in the Greek. He's talking about the ones that are born of the Father. Who's he talking about? Us, your brothers and sisters. And the context is consistent, right? Loving God, loving people. The one who loves the Father also loves the one, the ones born of him, those born of the Father. This is how we know. This is, this is John's favorite phrase in this, in this epistle. This is how we know that we love God's children. I love this, John. This is a very clear statement. Now give us the answer. This is how we know that we love God's children, when we love God and obey his commands. For this is what love for God is. This is what loving God looks like. You say you love God, this will be seen in your life. For this is what love for God is, to keep his commands. Now on the one hand, I know what I'm doing this morning. I'm totally destroying your romantic picture of love. And I'm married, so I, I get the tension here and the stress. Oh, I love my wife. What does that look like? Well, we go out on dates and we do things for each other and we put each other, we try to put each other first. She's here, so I gotta speak honestly. 
you know, I try to put her first, and I, you know, and there's gifts, and there's flowers, and maybe chocolate, right? We have this picture of love, and to love someone, oh, Mike, you're all by yourself. I was hoping you'd have your fiance sitting next to you because I could give them a picture of, oh, the, just look, look at his face. Look at his face. See that look right there? Oh, that, yeah. That's, the, that's what we associate with love, and that's a good thing, Michael. That's a good thing. But God, you, it's not me. I'm not ruining our picture of, of, of love. God says this, for this is what love for God is, to keep, to obey his commands. We'll unpack this a little bit more. Don't shut me out. I want to ask a couple of questions of us this morning, and the first one is this. Who do you love? Now, I've been in a, in a teaching role for almost 40 years, and I, my mind goes right back, and I see a couple of my young people right here in the front row. See the look on their face? There's the look of love right there. Sam, look at her with your best look of love. I'm glad that wasn't on the video. Or actually, it might have been. There's a camera right there. We might have captured that. My mind goes back to, to those days in the 80s and asking a question, and there was always at least one kid in the group that would give the Christianese answer, right? The, the, well, what, what, the, we love God. You know, I don't know why I'm making that voice. They, they didn't sound like that. But they would give that answer, and I, that's our temptation, right? When I ask a question like, who do you love? Well, if you're a smart man, the first thing you do is turn to your wife and you say, I love you, to her. But there's, there's the right answer. We know that, right? Well, of course. It's, I love God. And, I, and I, love, I love my wife and I love my kids. And some might say, I love my dog. Nate won't say that this morning, but I think he was up all night or much of the night again with his dog. Yeah. See the look on Stacy's face? That is not a look of love for a dog right there. That is puppy. Puppy. Who do you love? So I, I ask you to consider that question, and let me just maybe give you some sub-questions, because this is where we need to go. Do you love God? Yes. Do we love God? That, you can answer out loud, you can declare that, but I want, I want us to ask it in our, in our minds, in the, in the intimacy of our heart. Do I love God? Well, you know these words in Mark chapter 12. Here's the command that, that John writes about. A young man asked Jesus, what do I need for eternal life? And you remember the encounter, and he tells him the law, and he goes, I've done all that. And so then Jesus comes to this point in the conversation. He says, here's the most important command. Here, here is the most important command. Listen, Israel. Here's the most important command. The Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you need to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength, with all your checkbook, with all of your schedule, with all of your Amazon wish list, with your Facebook account. You're, you with me? So when I answer this question and I ask us, who do I love? Well, I do, do I love God? Yes, I love God. We need to listen to Jesus. This is what it looks like. You love him, it means it's going to show up in all aspects of your life. That he's first. It's the most important command. That we love him. And then he quotes from Leviticus and he says the second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now listen to what he does, and he does this consistently in the Gospels, where it's recorded for us. There is no other commands. Is that what your Bible says? There is no other command greater than these. Now if Sharon Tanaka was in the crowd, she would have corrected him. Well, you have a singular and a plural, and they don't match. 
grammar-wise. Did Jesus make a mistake? No. What he does is he takes the command to love God and the command to love people, and he makes them one. He makes them inseparable. You cannot have one without the other. And John's going to unpack that for us, or he did, actually, or we already read it, right? The one who loves God must also love his brother and sister. In fact, he says, if you say you love God and you don't love your brother or sister, you are, in fact, what? A liar. You're lying to, to whom? Well, you, you, you're trying to lie to God, but we know how foolish that is. We're really trying to lie to other people, aren't we? We're trying to deceive other people. You might be trying to deceive yourself. Most of the time, we understand the, the, the tension, the struggle inside. It's usually that we're trying to lie, we're trying to deceive other people. Yes, I love God. You see me on Sundays for a couple hours, it's obvious, right? I love God. And then you see me in the Starbucks line. We'll just leave. You can fill in the blank how you want to. Do you love God? Jesus says, you love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. In fact, there is no other command greater than these. They are really one command. How about people? Do you love people? Before you answer, I heard a couple yeses. That's good. I love the confidence. But take a trip with me back through our study of 1 John. John has repeatedly warned us about something. Verse, verse 6 of chapter 1 in 1 John. If we say we have fellowship with God, yet we walk in darkness, we are lying. And we're not practicing the truth. Chapter 2, verse 4. The one who says, I've come to know him. I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. Yet doesn't keep his commands. That person is a liar and the truth is not in him and in our own text in, in chapter four if anyone says yes i love god and yet hates his brother he is a man john is harsh <laughs> what's he saying he's 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 reemphasizing us this principle with the warning your words and your actions need to match they need to match wasn't that jesus's beef with the pharisees Man, Jesus is so gracious, he's so kind, he's so, he's so willing to touch the leper and be with the woman caught in adultery and stand up for her and over and Zacchaeus and, and Nicodemus, over and over and over, we just see him showing grace and mercy to people. But when it came to the Pharisees, he had a burr in his saddle. He didn't even have a saddle, but you get, you get my, the point, right, the meaning? It really upset him in a righteous way that the Pharisees actions and words didn't match and he gave us some colorful pictures of that didn't he remember the tomb white marble on the outside all great but then when you open up the tomb what's inside stink did you say stink stank yes there's stank if you're from the south you don't say stink there'd be stank in that right some things you want to get back you know you don't want in the video after you said them out loud he gave us some colorful pictures. You guys, I have no patience for you because you're constantly saying this and doing something else. You're hypocrites. John says, you, you, you can't be a follower of Jesus and be a hypocrite. Your words and your actions need to match. Back in the youth days, it was, how did you behave on Monday night or Wednesday night, and then how did you behave at school? I remember there were students, I'd go to the campus at high school in La Sierra, or, or not La Sierra, uh, Mariloma, 
And there were, there were students that were coming to youth group and others had invited me and I'm there doing a Bible study or eating lunch and others would come up. They looked panicked. They looked panicked that I was there on their campus. Ah, why? Because they were behaving differently at school than they were on Monday nights. And they were afraid of being busted. But aren't we just as guilty? How you look, how you behave, how you talk here. We just had a greeting. Oh, it's good to see you. It's great. You know, I hate that person. It's good to see you. You know, I mean, I did not say that. That was, a, that was pretend. Everybody that I greeted this morning was like, oh, is it me? I wonder if it's me. We put on in, in our actions and we behave a certain way in certain settings and we say the right things. John is so concerned that our actions and our words match. So in this, I, this question of do I love people, say what you want. And that's say, yes, I do. I love my wife. Love, that's good. But what God's looking for, what the Holy Spirit is seeking to do in us is work in us so that what I say and what I do match. Isn't that the intent of the lukewarm statement that God makes? You know, I'd rather you were just hot or cold. Really, God? You want me to be cold? I'd rather you were cold than lukewarm. Yes. I'd rather you were hot and the Holy Spirit was working in you. But yes, I'd rather you were cold and go over here and say, you know what? I hate people. I do. I just hate people. I don't like people at all. And my actions will match that. Then be over here and go, oh, I love people, idiot. I love people, dummy. You that's what he's saying. I'd rather you were cold or hot than in the middle of this, living this life where your words and your actions don't match. So when John asks us, the Holy Spirit asks you and asks me this morning, do you love people? Before I say anything, I need to examine my life, my words, and my actions. You prayed that this morning, John, the meditation of my heart, the words of my mouth, that they would be pleasing to him. When will they be pleasing? When they are aligned with God's love and our actions are aligned with our words, then it will please him. Let me throw out another question just briefly, and I want to encourage you to write this down. We don't have time to unpack it. But your struggle, if I ask the question, do I love God, do I love people, and if you're honest with yourself, you say, well, I'm kind of struggling in some areas, consider this question. Do I love an idol? Is there an idol in my life? How do I define an idol? I define an idol as anything that I love more than God. It can be a thing, it can be a person, it can be a feeling, it can be an image, it can be anything. If I love it more than I love God, I throw that out for you to consider. As you hear the Holy Spirit speak to you this morning, ask that question honestly, do I love an idol? So who do we love? Who do I love? John says we need to love God and we need to love people. The Word of God confirms that everywhere we turn. Jesus says it's one and the same. But here's the real question then of the moment. How do I do that? Because if I'm honest with you, I think I'm in a good place right now, the Holy Spirit. I spent time with God this morning. I confessed my, my sin of the week, and I looked back, and I made things right with God, and I said, God, I want to I stand up in front of people, and I want to proclaim your word, and I want to do it in the power of the Holy Spirit. So God, please show me who I am to you and what needs to be corrected, who I need. You, you know what I'm talking about, that moment? And I'm spending time in his word, and I'm just getting, so I, I, I feel like I'm in, a, I'm a, in the right place. And so I come to these questions, and I said, who do I love? Okay, I'm, I'm not perfect, and, but I do love God. I'm with Spurgeon. I love God. I love Jesus. And because of his love in my life and his love for me all these years, I'm in his strength seeking to love people. There's some things that need to be corrected. There's some people I need to love better. There, 
Okay, don't, don't take it if you're watching online. Kurt's saying he's arrived. I have not. But I'm in this place where I can say, yes, that is, those are my priorities, to love God and love people. But then my heart and my mind moves right to, how do I do that? And I need to take us back to where we kind of started, or where we, at the end of our text, this idea that to love God is to keep his commandments. To love God is to obey him. Now, I've known that, I've lived that, I've preached that, but I've got to be honest with you, this week in studying for the message, it hit me clearly and harder than ever before. That also applies to relationships with people. So I've never been able to make that connection. To love God is to obey Him. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. It's very clear. To love God is to do what He says. But how does that translate into a relationship with my wife? I need to obey my wife. Yes, dear. Yes, dear. Yes, dear. <laughs> I roll over in the morning and say, yes, dear, for what, whatever's, whatever's coming out of your mouth, yes, dear, is that what it looks, what about my adult kids, what about my grandkids, what about my co-workers, yes, Matt, yes, Matt, what do you want, yes, Matt, what time do you want me to be here, yes, Matt, <laughs> and he, he voted yes, <laughs> but see, in reality, what John makes clear in other places in the word of God, it just clicked in my thinking this week, is that it does, it applies equally to our relationships, to love another person is to obey God's commands that apply to that relationship. So when I look at my wife, what is love for my wife? It's Ephesians 5. If I love my wife, I'm going to obey God when he says, love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. He willingly gave his life for his imperfect bride. Well, I thought love for Becky meant taking her out and buying her you know, things and... That is that, that is that a, does that have a place? Okay, hold on, guys, you gotta be quiet for a second. Ladies, does that have a place? Yes. I expected louder, but okay, we'll go with that. Yes. It, thank you. It does, but undergirding that, the word of God says to love your wife is to obey God's command to love her like Christ loves the church. Or maybe that's a suggestion. What do you think? No? Every one of you consider the needs of others more important than your own. Philippians 2, is it? Just like Christ did? Is that, maybe that's a suggestion too. And in a very short amount of time, we're going to be starting a Love One Another series. And I just want to plant the seed. When we start the One Another series, they're all going to be suggestions. Okay, we're going to get up here, we're going to make some nice suggestions. That you love each other, serve each other. Teach. They're all suggestions. The day that I get up here and say that, the day that I get up here and say that, you call a members meeting and you vote me out of this role. And I'm, I'm dead serious. I am dead serious. Because these are not suggestions. These are commands. And we need to come, if I want to know how to love people, I need to first come to the word of God and I need to look at it as God's commands and then practice them in my, in my relationships. I will be loving people. In the same way of my relationship with God. We look for his commands. We submit to them. We are hearers of his word and we are doers. We've excused ourselves for way too long just to love God and do what God wants me. You know, ask me to stop doing this, stopping that, doing that. Okay, I'm going to do it because I love God. And we've excused ourselves from the commands that address the person sitting next to us this morning. Our child, our parent, our spouse, our neighbor, whoever it might be. Maybe it's a stranger. Maybe you just met him for the first time. 
And we excuse it. No, I love God. I love God. Well, John debunks it and says, no, if you love God, you don't love people, you're a liar. You don't love God. Okay, what do I do with that? You love God by obeying his commands. You love the person next to you by obeying his commands. Are you with me? So what does that mean? It means I need to go back to God's word. I need to come back to God's word and say, okay, when he talks about loving, you've heard it said that you can you know, love your friends and hate your enemy. I tell you, bless your enemy. Love your enemy. Forgive. Holy cow, God, what are you saying? I'm saying that's my command for relationships. You love me, obey them. You love that person, obey them. Are you glad you came this morning? We're called to be hearers and doers of the word. Can I suggest this? Stop following other voices that give you an out. You will find voices that give you an out. Your spouse is too hard to love. This person in your life, your boss, the person on the next pew, the person that's offended you, the person that's wronged you. You fill in the blank. You will always be able to find voices that give you an out. But when you come back to the word of God, if we come to his word, we will find consistently God saying, love that person and here's how you do it. You forgive. You overlook. You confront. You sit down with that person and say, we're broken. I need to own my part of this. I can't love God without loving you. Maybe it's your spouse. For some, maybe that's where we need to start this morning. When you leave here, you go out to lunch, the first thing you do at lunch is look at that person across the table, or maybe it's your kids, and say, I'm sorry, I have not obeyed God's commands. I have not loved you the way God has commanded me to love you. And I confess that I claim to love God, but I've not loved you. Are you with me? We submit to the Spirit who's living in us. You know this passage in John 13. I'm just, I'm gonna read it. He washes his disciples' feet, and when he had washed their feet, verse 12 of the Gospel of John, verse 12, chapter 13, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his outer clothing, he reclined again, he said to them, do you know what I've done for you? And Peter went, oh yeah, you washed my feet. <laughs> and I don't know why, Peter probably does sound that way. You've washed our feet. I don't know what they said. The Bible records silence, so I don't know. Do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and, you're, and you speak rightly. You're speaking truthfully when you say that, since that is what I am. So if I am your Lord, I am your teacher, I am your God, and you say you love me, and I've washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. For I've given you an example. You want to know how to love your spouse? Look to Jesus. So well, he wasn't married. doesn't matter. Follow his example. You see, this command to, to, to wash another's feet applies to my marriage. It applies to my relationship with my adult children it, and, and my son-in-laws and my grandkids and my coworkers and my neighbor. Doesn't it? What is love? Love is to obey God's command in our relationship with him and our relationship with one another. Loving people the way God loves people is the primary expression of our love for God. I want to invite the worship team to come, and as they're coming, I want to unpack that statement. Did you hear it? Loving people the way God loves people is the primary expression of our love for God. If God's primary nature is love, and as a child of God, my primary characteristic nature should be loving others, put those two together. This is what John is saying. To love people the way God loves people is the primary expression of our love for God.
Now you might be saying, I don't have anything to base this on. My, my understanding of God and his love for me is very limited. I know that his son died for me and I put my faith in Jesus and I'm his child. And that's pretty much all at this point I, I, I have. If that's true, you should be in the foundations class, right? Or the journey. This is where you can start. You just stop and say, okay, how has God loved me? How has he loved me? His mercy, his grace, his forgiveness, his patience. How has God loved me? Take that and start practicing that in the relationships you have with other people. And if you're married, start with your spouse. Because to love God is to obey him. To love people is to obey him. You with me? I really believe that's what John is saying. Fear is natural. Can we just own that? Fear is natural. There's plenty of reasons to have fear right now. Fear is natural. If you want to pat yourself on the back and say, okay, I've been afraid. Fear is natural. But before you pat yourself on the other shoulder, love is supernatural. Let it sink in. Fear is natural. Love is supernatural. It's the work of God in us. And the Holy Spirit has been speaking to each of us, including me, this morning. There's some things I need to remove from your life. It might be fear, it might be unforgiveness, it might be bitterness, it might be anger. It could be a long list of things. And he says, I want to take that out, and then I want to put something in its place. I want to put power, love, and sound judgment in its place. I want to put mercy and forgiveness in its place. You claim to love me, God says? Awesome. Then obey my commands. But remember this, if you claim to love me, you need to love the person sitting next to you, the person around you, the person in the next cubicle, the people in your life. How do I love those people? By obeying my commands. I can think of no better place than to start where we're at right now. We need to tell Jesus that we love him. You have an opportunity now as our worship team leads us, as Nate and this team leads us over the next few minutes. You have the opportunity to waste this time. You can be distracted by, is that a green shirt or is that a teal shirt? I'm not sure. You know, you can be, or... Why is it so loud? Why can't I hear? I don't, how come that's, there's not a comma after that word? There should be. You can be distracted by a whole bunch of things and miss this moment, or you can respond to the Holy Spirit. You've been a hearer of the word. Say, now I want to be a doer, Holy Spirit. Speak to me right now. What needs to go? What needs to be replaced? But before I can even ask that question, tell God you love him. These songs, the, the communion that we'll do in just a minute, it's all about that. It's an opportunity for you and me to tell God that we love him. And that will open the door for the Holy Spirit to go, all right, let's go. Let's get started. I want to empty that suitcase because there's stuff in there that's stank. That's when you come back from a trip. And I want to put some good stuff in there. You ready? All right, bow with me, please. Or whatever it looks like for you not to be distracted. Just give me 30 seconds and then we're going to tell God that we love him. Holy Spirit, sent by the Father, sent by the Son, we invite you to have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.